Welcome to One Does Not Simply, where three friends take on the Lord of the Rings and go on some unexpected journeys. I'm Wanda. I'm Navia. And I'm Ashani. This is episode 17, One Does Not Simply Pledge ORC. As always, there will be spoilers for the entire Tolkien verse ahead. With that said, let's get into it. You guys, I'm getting my Lord of the Rings half sleeve in March, and I'm so fucking excited. <laughs> like, I cannot wait. Your Eowyn tattoo, right? Yes, yes. Do you nice. have a picture of what it's going to look like? No, it, it ha- like, she will draw it, like, the week of and send it over to me for a review, but I have, like, a mental image. Also, the artist was really, really excited about it, which makes me even more excited. <laughs> That's great. Wow. That's going to be... I feel like that's... You're not going to be able to hide your affinity for LOTR anymore. I think that's a, that ship has sailed, considering how many things in my life are now Lord of the Rings related. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I know. I guess once you have a podcast, it's kind of... It kind of goes way out the door, yeah. doesn't it? My cats are named after Lord of the Rings. My band is named after Lord of the Rings. I have a Lord of the Rings podcast. We're just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> full wow. steam ahead here. <laughs> you made your it's husband change orange, his name to Aragorn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm slowly transforming my husband into Viggo Mortensen over time. <laughs> but we, we got we to gotta focus up. We got to do right, this. All right, all right, all right. All right. Let's go. Okay, okay, all right. Taking things back. Um, Orcs. <laughs> <laughs> they're just like us they i'm sorry the, okay well we're really getting ahead of ourselves here um but they are just like us as we learn in chapter three of two towers in chapter three of book three uh of lord of the rings we get taken back a little bit in the past couple of chapters we've been following aragorn legolas and gimli as they pursue the uh orcs across across rohan trying to find Merry and Pippin, who have been taken captive. In this chapter, we get taken back a little bit uh, to see that whole journey with the orcs through Merry and Pippin's perspective, in particular through Pippin's perspective, um, because the whole the whole chapter is told through Pippin's eyes. And so we, we uh, get introduced to their captors, the orcs, who come from uh, three, I think, different orc civilizations or tribes. Um, we learn a little bit about the tension these, like the tensions in this, in their group of captors, and we see Marianne Pippin eventually uh, manage to escape into um, what Shawnee referred to in her notes as the old ass forest, <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. Oh no, you said forest is old as balls. Give, <laughs> which I fell over myself laughing about earlier today. Because um, everyone knows that balls are old. <laughs> <laughs> forest as old as balls <laughs> it's from the movie right there's a bit where legolas is standing there and he's like this forest is old very as, as old. balls <laughs> and then somebody just adds in a little caption that goes old as balls <laughs> it was i promise i, I missed point, i missed this, this meme the, but the hot meme in the lord of the rings online the, the... fandom this meme did not enter my consciousness. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't really it wasn't really a me meme. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think what's odd about what's odd about this chapter is that whereas up until this point in the series, we've mostly gotten 
relatively impersonal narration that jumps from one character's perspective to another. This chapter is told entirely through the eyes of Pippin, um, who we haven't really gotten to hear from so far, and who I think as a result has been a little bit shafted in the narration. Um, and not only, so not, like, not only do we get kind of a really fleshed out characterization of who Pippin is, we also see the orcs kind of remarkably fleshed out as characters. There are a few orcs who are constantly at odds with each other. And I think in the process of trying to make it clear to the readers that these orcs don't all see things the exact same way and they have tensions too, and using the orcs as kind of these proxies for the tensions between Saruman and Sauron, who are allies in evil, um, Tolkien accidentally ends up uh, giving us some really fleshed out characters. Dear listeners, the orcs have names. Their names are things like Ugluk and Grishnok. Do you know how many times these orcs are mentioned in these books? More than Arwen, folks. More than Arwen. Ugluk yeah. in this single chapter gets more mentions than Arwen does in the entire series. That is all. You're welcome. Yeah, so I think I, I think let's start by talking about that, like who who these kind of characters are and what we think of the orcs as like a as like a group or a civilization. Do you guys have thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I mentioned um, a couple episodes ago that I thought it was really ambitious for Tolkien to pick this many main characters, and I think that's kind of what led to his decision to break them up in this book into like distinct plot lines, and I, it's really working so far. Uh, because it's allowing him to give us that it's it's almost forcing him to give us that more individualistic perspective of like what each one is thinking um, because that's the only way he can further the story and I really like it I Pippin came through loud and clear as a character to me in this he was very like kind of naive but kind of quick on his feet with his thinking um, he's very loyal to Mary it's it's very cute to see their budding romance and um <laughs> And, like, I think just in general, it felt the most, like, this is weird because this is such an iconic book, but it felt the most familiar to me in terms of, like, other books I've read and the way they use their characters. Mm-hmm. Right, because you're, because everything that's happening, you're perceiving it through the eyes of a character. Right, right. Um, yeah. And I enjoyed that, despite the the fact that this is, technically another walking chapter we got very little description of the walking yeah well and i guess do we want to talk about pippin first or do we want to talk about the orcs first because i have thoughts on both well maybe so let's not- uh sorry i was just gonna say maybe let's like wrap up the pippin discussion first I was and say then, the same thing yeah you <laughs> already kicked us off talking about pippin let's keep talking about pippin Wanda's like, let's talk about the orcs. Navia immediately starts talking about Pippin. <laughs> she I said, just said both. That we had some, I had some. I said we had some really fleshed out characters. Uh, not discriminating. <laughs> no, I. I also really liked Pippin in this. I think one of the things that really stood out to me was that there was the clearest and most clearly intentional shift in point of view that we've gotten so far. This is a Pippin chapter. Um, And I liked that immediacy of the cueing that the first thing we get is Pippin's internal monologue as he tries to sort of work through all of this stuff and what's happened to him. And we also get a lot of 
stuff about Pippin that feels very congruent with what we already know about him. He's a little bit naive, maybe, but he's also pretty darn smart and like good at problem solving. And all of these things feel like they fit with what we've seen about him. I mean, we had talked about how much we liked Marion Pippin back when all the hobbits were still in the Shire, and I'm seeing some of those flashes here again. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I mentioned this a second ago, but, you know, in previous episodes, we've talked about how Pippin, compared to everybody else, really seems like he does not deserve to be on this trip uh, or on the quest. And one of the first pieces of internal monologue that we get from Pippin in this chapter is him saying, I really don't deserve to be on this quest, and I wish that they had thought better of actually bringing me. And the whole chapter is kind of like that. Uh, it's, Mm -hmm. It's him confirming that he fully feels about himself the way that readers feel about him, which is, I think, like a really deft way of getting getting me, at least as a reader, to understand and sympathize with this character a little bit more and not see him as comic relief, which is how he and Mary, too, are both painted in the movies a little bit. Yeah, I think it's really hard to see somebody as comic relief once they explain that they worry about being a burden on their friends and they feel like they're so out of their depth and just trying to survive it's really hard after that to be like, oh, and Pippin's just like a little airhead and a ditz and he doesn't care about anything or take anything seriously. It's like, no, he really feels very strongly about all of these things. One of of the interesting things I noted in this chapter was like with the Aragorn trio and the Frodo and Sam duo, um, we have a very clear idea of like who is the main character in those situations. And it is consistent with the narration that we get from those chapters where Aragorn is telling the story or Frodo is telling the story. I don't get that sense from this that Pippin is going to be the main one of this duo. I feel like it's a much more equal distribution. But I was interested that Tolkien chose him to do the narration through as opposed to like trying to give us more of a sense of both of them and what they were thinking. Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that what it accomplishes is that it basically, rather than telling the story through the eyes of someone who can basically give us a Rick Steves style tour of the things that were (laughs) like the landscapes that we're passing and like the characters that we're encountering, it's all told through the eyes of someone who's like genuinely what the heck is all of this? There's a moment when they're when they're crossing a they're crossing a plane and they see the riders of Rohan coming near, and Pippin's Pippin's internal monologue is something like, "I really wish I had done the work to figure out what the geography of Middle Earth looks like and who the people are that I'm seeing over there on the horizon, because I really have no clue here um, what any of this shit is." And I don't even know if these people who are approaching us are going to be friendly to me and to Mary when they see us, or if they're going to recognize us as um, as non-orcs at all. I thought it was interesting that, that he kind of, he understood immediately, like, oh, they're not going to know what hobbits are around here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also, I wonder in hearing what you two are saying, to me, my sense was, and it's kind of an idea that I've, I'm developing as I hear you two talk, but... This, the reason why he maybe picked Pippin specifically rather than either trying to split the perspective between the two of them or pick Mary is that Pippin is the most 
naive and is to a, a certain extent the most unprepared for all of this that Mary is also definitely out of his depth in terms of being kidnapped by orcs and then dragged across Rohan. Like, yeah, Mary's not prepared for that. But Mary is older than Pippin. We know Mary is in some ways a little bit more of a planner or maybe a little bit more settled. Um, And we... I'm jumping ahead a little bit to say that what we find out in the next chapter is that Mary actually remembers his geography a little better too. (laughs) So Mary is maybe would have been a choice that lessens the impact of the feeling of this chapter, right? Of being just so totally lost. Um, And if we had had Mary's point of view, I wonder if that would have minimized some of that or reduced some of that. And so Pippin was kind of the most effective choice in that way. Yeah. It's almost like the fact that he's a little bit naive almost makes him more optimistic in this situation where he's just like, yeah, we're going to escape. I'm going to come up with a plan. And some of the other characters we've seen might have been a little bit more forlorn or a little bit more like long-term planning. And he's just kind of like, I got to think of just how to get out of exactly what's happening right now. Right. He's like, I have no clue where we're going or what's going to happen to us for most of the chapter, at least. Yeah. And so he's just thinking he's really thinking in the moment. Just people living in the moment. Yeah. Even when they get when they escape and they're like about to go into the forest, Mary's like, oh, we've been warned against Fangorn and Pippin's like, well, it's better than here. So let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Although the flip side to that is that he really does think very quickly on his feet. Right, when the orc Grishnak is, like, basically patting them down, trying to find the ring, Pippin is smart enough and kind of quick enough to immediately put together what is going on and then also try and use that information to manipulate what's, like, to try and manipulate the situation and to try and manipulate Grishnak and... That, I think, is pretty impressive, all things considered. Like, he's not just lying there helpless. He's a little impulsive, maybe, but the impulsivity is coming from a place of, like, he's smart enough to usually make it work out. Oh, it was so cute's maybe not the right word, but it gave me some real good friendship feels when Pippin is just like, okay, I'm going to make some weird references to Gollum and, like, we're just going to roll with it and try and, like, scam this guy. And Mary, without having planned it in advance or anything, is just like, yeah, let's roll with it. Because that, to me, was a really great, like, just one of those beautiful little moments of you can tell that these two characters have grown up with each other and have gotten both into and out of some shit. You can tell that they did improv together. (laughs) Yeah, right. I'm like, well, or like got in trouble and then got each other out of trouble. Yeah, talked their way out of situations. Yeah. Um, It's a a real bro move. (laughs) Yeah. But it was just one of those things that reminded me of all of the dumb nonsense I got up to with my friends when I was like young and could actually see my friends in person 
(laughs) (laughs) But just, like, that little moment of, oh, it's not just that they're sort of here in this situation together or that they're friends. It's they really know each other. And that was a great way of showing it. And I'm like, I want to <laughs> shake Tolkien and go, look, you can do it when you try. It reminded me of like when your sibling has lied to your parents about something and you didn't yes. know about it. And then like your parents Absolutely. are talking to you about it and just you on the fly just roll with their lie. Yeah. You're <laughs> you, like, you just revise history. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was totally watching a movie with her. Yeah. Last Saturday afternoon. Mm hmm. Yep. If I was a parent, I would be really proud of my kids for doing that. No finks in my household. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think I would be more happy that my children have like a great bond with each other than upset about the lie. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. No, exactly. It was cute and I liked it. I don't I don't think Pippin realizes it. I don't think either Mary or Pippin realize it in this chapter, but it, I don't think it should be understated that even though he feels like he is baggage and that he's like kind of ruining this mission, it's actually incredibly helpful to Frodo and Sam that the orcs think that Merry and Pippin have the ring. Uh, it is like a total distraction for them. Um, and they waste a lot of time with this whole kidnapping and trying to take them to Isengard. And, um, and then they all get killed. And then, and then all the orcs get killed, which helps. Uh, but, <laughs> but I, I think it, they don't realize it, and it hasn't really been explicitly stated, but this is actually a, a very helpful thing they're doing by letting themselves be kidnapped. Well, letting themselves is probably generous, but in getting <laughs> themselves kidnapped, yeah. it wound up being helpful, yeah. yeah. You know what I thought was interesting was that like there was, um, and this is, I guess, characteristic of Tolkien and the way that he writes, but there was, for all that we get, Uh, narration from Pippin and a lot of characterization of Pippin in this chapter, what we don't get is any description of how he's feeling about most of this. Um, Most of his feelings are conveyed when he talks to Mary, when he says things like, I'd rather not be here. Um, And for one thing, that's like, that's really understated. And I think that the the fact that it's understated kind of, I think what the, like what the sum of all this does is that it, it, um, it does not direct our attention towards how scary and menacing the orcs are. It actually allows us to like pay attention more to other things about them. And, and um, I like, there was a, like at one point during the chapter, I think I texted you guys and this was happening. I was, I was like, I'm not sure how much physical description we've seen of the orcs. Maybe they're hot. Um, because, because Tolkien doesn't really put a ton of work into describing what they look like. Although though, like later you get like, like hairy arms and um, okay this is a critical point we should debate because (laughs) (laughs) yes there any possibility that the orcs are hot (laughs) but i before we leave behind what you were saying first about and i do want to put a pin in are the orcs hot um because we got to circle back but i actually disagree with you about how little we get of Pippin's thoughts and feelings about what's happening because I felt like we got the most of a character's just in the moment reactions outside of dialogue than we've seen so that we've seen so far Uh, I agree with that I agree with that we don't get a lot of fear is what I mean yes but I wonder if that's if that was also a choice, because what we know about 
Pippin is that Pippin is in some ways pretty willing to roll with situations that other people might perceive as scary. Yeah, and I also think it's consistent maybe with the adrenaline that you would be feeling in this moment of mm. having this happen to you of like just not even having time to be scared because you're just trying to figure out what to do. Right, and you've been plied mm. with the orc liquor. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, we get like we get shown like the in the same way that like the Nazis uh, had their soldiers take meth, and I'm sure Nazis are not the only army that have given their soldier substances. Isn't that? I thought that's actually a really common thing. Um, but the orcs have like a um, somewhere between like a four loco and a, like a five hour energy <laughs> that they take whenever they whenever they're flagging, and it enables them to run really fast. Like, don't the orcs like? I, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I, I love the thought of this just being for look. <laughs> I'm just now imagining like all the frat bros as orcs just chugging for look. Yeah, I mean, I think the orcs do have a really fratty energy to them. So this they really do. I actually was going to put that in my notes. <laughs> um, yeah. Sorry, I interrupted what you were going to say. Oh, yeah, we were getting back to what we were talking about with um, how the fact that we don't hear a lot of Pippin's fear is maybe consistent with the fact that he's got a lot of adrenaline rushing mm-hmm. and actually maybe as realistic with how the situation would feel were any of us in it. Um, although personally, I think I would be really scared. Um, yeah. But also could be because he's been applied with substances the entire time. Right. Yeah. Um, also, now I'm just thinking about the orcs in their, like, ripped up fratty tank tops, <laughs> like... Just, like, chugging for loco and playing mirror <laughs> Yeah. Which I think brings us back to, are Our the orcs, orcs hot? hot? Yeah. Not, <laughs> not that we think frat bros are particularly hot, but... Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, it, yeah, yeah. As, at, just like frat bros, maybe some more than others... Sure. Um, I suppose there are some hot ones out there. Uh, Look, what we know about the orcs is that they're extremely fast runners, which means that they're probably pretty athletic. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) This is already a really strong case. (laughs) Some some lean athletic bodies. I heard the orcs were ripped. Heard they were shredded. (laughs) They're played in the movies by really buff Kiwis, which is consistent with being hot. Mm -hmm. Um, And what else do we know? Look, we know they have long, hairy arms, which to some people may be hot. Some people are very into hairy arms. Yeah, some people are into body hair. Yeah. There's a whole, Mm -hmm. like, genre of romance novels that's about, like, Scottish Highlanders, and I'm pretty sure... I was just talking about this with my friends because we were watching Outlander, and I was talking about how I saw a romance novel once in the grocery store that was called Tempting the Laird. And then after this chapter, I was like, I want to write a book called Tempting the Orc. Oh my god, that's so I mean... good. Um, yeah, so like, I'm not hearing anything inconsistent with them being hot yet. Yeah, even the thing about like long teeth or fangs, I mean, okay. Sure, but vampires have fangs. Vampires are apparently like very sexy. So, and I think like with frat bros, right? We're not necessarily saying, "Oh, (laughs) this is a person I'm attracted to," but just like, are they physically hot? This might take the cake for the stupidest thing we've discussed on this show. (laughs) 
I mean, and they're and uh, as you pointed out earlier, Shani, like technically they're they're interchangeably described as goblins, but many people can be goblins, like David Bowie in Labyrinth. That's true. Yes. Also, they can pick you up and carry you across great distances, which is decidedly hot. Yeah. <laughs> Although, by the same token, the eagles would be hot. <laughs> But that's, the the eagles between are animals. <laughs> picking you up in claws and carrying you like a dead rabbit versus <laughs> scooping you up in their big muscular arms yeah. and running across the plains of Rohan with you, bridal in, style. They like to tie you up. Got a little bondage situation going on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the person, I think the thing that, that we can assume makes the orcs, gives the orcs the most popular sex appeal is the fact that they eat people. Um, and in, in in recent pop culture, that's that's been something of a trigger sexually for people. <laughs> oh, character eats people. <laughs> uh, I mean, Hannibal. Yeah, yeah. Also, right. also werewolves, genuinely... right? Yeah. To some well, extent, like, vampires. Uh, they eat right? people's blood. But I mean, look, everybody has a thing for Mads Mikkelsen and Hannibal. Mm-hmm. And Hannibal's whole character is that he's a cannibal. <laughs> he eats people. Is that he eats people. He kills and eats people. I so, actually like, haven't seen Hannibal's, but I was thinking about Twilight yeah. um, and and vampire stories and how, for some reason, vampires have become like a really hot thing. I'm not disputing yeah. it. This is not, this is not me throwing any shade whatsoever at people who think that having a vampire suck your blood is is good yeah um (laughs) no but i think we can really go like we don't even have to go oh but it's similar to like blood sucking we can just go straight to eating people is not a deterrent yeah Yeah. in whether or not the internet is going to find you attractive i think i think the reason that the orcs are not hot has more to do with what what we see of like their interactions and like how they are personality wise, then it has to do with any right. description of how they look. Like they do not come off. Right. They're as... not warm ears on the inside. Yeah. They don't, they don't have hot energy, you know? <laughs> no, but what they do have honestly is like very relatable workplace politics energy. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, tell us about that Ashani. Okay. Because I think either a, in last maybe it was the last episode um there was an offhand comment made about how like the orcs turned on each other and is it like just because the orcs like killing and in this chapter we realize no it's not that the orcs are totally indiscriminate about murder it's that the orcs have a lot of workplace politics going on where they're super passive aggressive about like well, it would be a shame if our supervisor heard about this thing. And it would be yeah. really awful if, like, you didn't get any of the credit because you <laughs> ran off instead of finishing the job. Yeah. My reporting structure is more powerful than your reporting structure. <laughs> right. And genuinely, I sat there going, like, this is what it's like to work in an office with a lot of people who you don't necessarily get along with. Like, yeah. I think I wrote in my notes that, like, of all of the 
races and people that we've interacted with so far in this book, somehow the orcs felt the most human out of all of them, where they just had very human problems. Like, they were just whining and griping about the situation they were in. They, like, didn't really want to be doing what they were doing, but, like, they had orders, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean... Yeah. Who among us hasn't wanted to murder a coworker <laughs> who absolutely like sniped all the glory on a project you did the work on? You True. should try to make relatable orc problems trend on Twitter. <laughs> also, I felt like so a big source of tension between these groups of orcs is who they report to. Um, mm-hmm. So half of them are like Saruman's orcs, the Urukai. And then the right. other half are Sauron's orcs, the Mordor, Mord, Mordor, the Mordor orcs, Mordor. <laughs> um, more orcs, Mordorks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so orcs I, more like dorks. I felt like one of the big problems was that Sauron and Saruman haven't really created an FAQ for like who's in charge actually, so. <laughs> They've got totally different ideas of which one is giving the orders. And so the Urukai have orders not to kill Merry and Pippin, and the Mordor orcs are like, but why? And, <laughs> and nobody really has information about the fact that they might have the ring. A couple of them seem to have intuited it, but generally speaking, they're kind of blindly following orders here. And I don't know, it feels like a very... like. This feels like a situation that I understand why it fell apart very clearly. Yeah. I guess I assumed that the reason that, that the Mordor orcs and, that is hard to say, and the Saruman orcs, aka the Urukai, were on this mission together was partly so that the Mordor orcs, who were directed by Sauron, can keep an eye on what Saruman's orcs are doing. There yeah. doesn't. Mm-hmm. There's not really another explanation for why that would be, why they, they would be teaming up, um which is kind of like a logistically difficult thing for orcs from two different parts of the world to do, except that they're, except that it's kind of like a, it's like an accountability or transparency thing, yeah. right? Yeah. And yet that the was definitely... orcs don't know what's going on. No, they but they do, they do really like to uh, pull out the fact that the Nazgul are on their side as a power play. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think we get the, or at least the indication that, the upper-level leadership of Sauron's orcs have guessed at what it is that the hobbits might be carrying, because obviously Grishnok does try to find the ring off of Merry and Pippin later on in the chapter. But yeah, I think there's, there's layers of how much are you actually told when you're a grunt, mm-hmm. and... How much are you just told, like, your job is to keep an eye on these other guys who can't be trusted? And it totally makes sense why they haven't been informed about the ring, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's a ring of power. Like, oh, yeah, they would totally want to keep it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hazard pay. Absolutely hazard pay. (laughs) Um, There would be some unionizing going on. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, and especially because I think there's actually kind of three groups at play here because Mm -hmm. there's the group of orcs that are from Mordor proper that are like very closely allied with Grishnok that seem to maybe know what's going on. They're a little 
shifty shady in terms of are they there as spies? Are they there? Like, they're not necessarily powerhouses, but they do seem to be quite intelligent. And then there's the Urukai, who are Saruman's orcs, who are... And I do want to talk about, like, they keep calling themselves the fighting Urukai and what that actually means. But Sounds then like there's the also... the prettiest thing ever, actually. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's uh... their sports team. <laughs> <laughs> We're the Urukai and our sports team is the fighting Urukai. <laughs> Their mascot is also the Urukai. That's also our mascot. <laughs> but then there's this like group of northern orcs, right? That are just kind right. of along for the ride, and nobody seems to like them. They're just universally the the worst orcs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're I, shrimpy. I think we should and, delve a little bit into like the origin of orcs here because like what are they actually and and what are the distinctions between the different types of them so mm-hmm. i did a little bit of of lore search and um, so, so basically the original og orcs are the ones that are in mordor and um and now have spread into other parts of the land as well but basically the original dark lord melkor uh took a bunch of elves and tortured them uh, until they in- essentially went insane and became evil, and the orcs are the result of that. Now, what's a little bit unclear is how more orcs are made. Um, I don't... I, I, we have not seen a female orc yet. I, I've never seen one before. Uh, but, Ishani, you look like you want to say something. It was... I think this is the final piece of evidence we need for our orcs hot... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I know but you were doing the, that a they serious... used to be elves. Yeah, that's true. Right. Elves are like universally acknowledged to just be like incredibly beautiful, and these are dark elves. And as we all know, the dark version of something is even more evilly hot. Yeah. So, so like, I'm sorry, QED. The orcs are sexy as hell. Yeah, but yeah. So going back to the origins of orcs, so. Yeah, we don't get a clear uh, understanding of why there are more orcs, or why they continue to persist, because I don't know how they reproduce. Um, and I don't think they're continuously torturing more elves to make orcs. But we do know that the Orokai, uh, which is Saruman's band of orcs, are specifically something that he has experimented and created. Um, and it's suspected that the way he did it was by crossing orcs with men, although that's never explicitly revealed. Um, is that in the lore? It's in the lore. Um, well, it's, it's in the it's, lore as as rumored to be. Um, okay. Like, it's not ever stated clearly. It's going to come up next chapter. Wow, this is just wild spoilers by yeah. <laughs> Again, But only as rumor, right? But, like, yeah. it's, it's mentioned as, like, this is yeah. a possibility. Yeah, mm-hmm. so they're supposed to be, like, bigger and stronger than the original orcs. Although... As evidenced in this chapter, they do not have access to the Nazgul, which is apparently the ultimate power play if you're an orc. Um, And then we also occasionally hear them referred to as goblins. So once and for all, I'm finishing this debate definitively. Goblins are orcs. It's just what they referred to orcs as in The Hobbit. (laughs) Yeah. Are the goblins, do they only, do they, they, so like goblin is like a blanket term used to refer to all orcs, but it's kind of a misclassification for some of the orcs. Mm -hmm. 
Basically, Tolkien wrote The Hobbit, and he called them goblins there, and then later on he was like, orcs. Yeah, that's the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) That is interesting. I wonder if there's a difference between crossing, like, sort of in the way that Saruman has sort of, it's implied, experimented with crossing men and orcs to create the Urukai. Because I could see that being sort of a variety of different ways. And also, you raise a good point about how do the orcs as a species propagate? Are there female orcs? Do they reproduce? I mean, let's be honest, this is Tolkien. He did not think the orcs reproduced asexually. The man just would not have wrapped his head around that. Um, but it, I think there's sort of mythologically speaking a basis to say that orcs who have sex with people still produce, like the union still produces orcs. Maybe. Right, because you were saying, like, the origin of orcs was that they were tortured elves. Yeah. But clearly, current orcs are not all tortured elves. I think the question that we're coming around to is, like, if if the only difference between elves and orcs is that they were were tortured at some point, um, I guess I'm I'm no biologist, but I'm not sure how that... Yeah, why does that genetically pass down? (laughs) (laughs) Where do the hairy arms... (laughs) happen yeah um also please hold i have to pee again (laughs) (laughs) i mean okay well while we'll we'll just keep going while you're gone yeah right (laughs) it does beg the question of what torture is being referenced here because physical torture wouldn't do that right but magical torture might Mm mm-hmm true I, I want to come back around to how similar the orcs are to people, because I think mm-hmm. that is interesting. The orcs, uh, obviously, they have workplace politics. They also have money, um, because they're getting paid in money. Um, they have uh, they have some kind of form of culture that is gross. Um, let's see. Sorry, I'm not giving very good examples. I have some in my notes here, but they have they have some institutions that are that are distinctly humanistic and and not animalistic. Mm-hmm. So they're and, and and physiologically they're quite similar to humans. The real like the main differences are, are the main difference is that they eat people. Um, so, <laughs> which like again, some people do. <laughs> they do eat each other too. <laughs> I should, right. But... I mean, I guess what I was like coming around to is like the question of whether like we should consider the orcs rather than like a um, rather than like a rather than goblins as we imagine them if we should just consider the orcs to be a different race of human beings um so and the eating people seems like kind of an important uh factor so here's um something from not not the lord of the rings but from some of the other lore orcs were bred by melkor of the subterranean heats and slime their hearts were of granite and their bodies deformed foul their faces which smiled not but their laugh that of the clash of metal and to nothing were they more fain than to aid in the basest of the purposes of Melkor. So, first of all, decidedly not hot, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but also, it seems like 
it seems like we are having a slightly different conversation based on their characterization than how Tolkien intended them to be. Um, so there is like basically how we perceive them through their interactions, but Tolkien clearly intended to have this just kind of inherently evil race be a part of this world. Now it's interesting that you bring up the money thing because it actually makes a lot more sense why they're doing the things they do if they're just being paid to. Um, and I think that's a very human thing where it's like, yeah, you're doing this thing because somebody's paying you to. Like, you know, why there are plenty right. of human beings that do bad things. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I was about to say, like, the way that you describe it makes it sound like the orcs are um, sort of like robots made out of organic matter with, like, artificial intelligence. Yeah. But it's hard to explain if that's the case, why they care about getting paid. Yeah. Yeah. I would almost... I- Oh, I I was just going to say, like, I would almost reconcile those two pieces of lore as being, and this is what you missed when you went to the bathroom. Clearly, you should just hold it next time. Um, Is that when (laughs) we would, I could. Yeah, right. If we talk about the orcs being elves that were tortured, and we also talk about the orcs have been constructed from sort of these natural materials, right? Almost artificially, that the torture Mm. is then taking elves like taking the organic matter that is an elf and corrupting it by sort of some sort of magic that turns them into these creatures that are partially made of like stone and rock and these sort of base elements. I think that kind of answers a little bit this question of not so much that they are robots as they are cyborgs. Right, they yeah. were sort of organic. They they are the evil version of RoboCop, right? And <laughs> that's why, like, that's why they are more sort of powerful, and they're able to run for longer distances than your average, like, human would be able to do. But it also explains why they have these very sort of concerns of a people. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what came through for me when I was reading this chapter was that the orcs seem extremely human, but almost like humans that have been um, with all of the free will and like the sense of personal freedom taken away. Um, not just because they they see Sauron and Saruman as their gods, which is something else I read in the Tolkien letters today, um, but also just because like yeah, like they're they're cyborgs and their primary directive is just to complete tasks for. Sauron and Saruman um and so I think like in in spirit it seems like what what the orcs are are um yeah humanoids humanoids without um any kind of will of their own but it still leaves some open it's still for me the money thing is still like a point of contention yeah that one kind of weirds me out you can't say they have no will of their own because they clearly do right like there's there's discussion of some of the orcs are cowardly and they break from the group right Mm -hmm. or some of the orcs are sort of taking on these leadership positions and they don't trust each other and And there's even contention about what they're supposed to do right like whether they should kill mary and pippin or not right i mean like you look at sort of grishnok trying to find the ring and he wasn't ordered to take the ring he was ordered to presumably because if he had been right if he had just been given this direction of take the ring bring the ring back to me 
like, why would he have waited, right? Why would he have done it sort of secretly and and later on? And I, I think there's mm-hmm. other examples throughout the chapter of the orcs sort of complaining to each other and grumbling about things and, like, clearly having their own individual opinions and personalities. Even this, like, the fighting Urukai, right? Where Ugluk is drawing this distinction between, like, the discipline of his group mm-hmm. versus the sort of more uncontrolled aggression of some of the other orcs. But there's an element of pride there too, right? Mm-hmm. Or at least that was how I read it, was that when he's grumbling about like, oh, and of course the work is going to fall to the fighting Urukai as it always does because all of y'all are slackers and can't like do yeah. any of this on your own. But there's that element of, I see myself and my group of people as above you, not just because I have been told that we are above you, but like, here's the things we do that mm-hmm. make us mm-hmm. better than you. And also that something to me it, is very human. Something interesting I just read on the wiki is that the term Urukai actually just means orc folk in, in black speech, which is their language. Oh. So, so I always thought it was like... orcs technically Urukai? I guess so. I guess like maybe like, lowercase Urukai as opposed <laughs> to uppercase Urukai. I think like Saruman's faction has chosen to call themselves this or something like that but mm-hmm. yeah technically they're all uruks which is just they their word are. for orcs got it and what what is it that legolas calls orcs what, what do elves call orcs again oh it's like yurch like... yurch <laughs> it's like <laughs> y-r-c-h <laughs> right <Yurch. Yeah. laughs> oh one one kind of cool thing i noticed in this chapter um since you mentioned legolas is that uh, so I know we made fun of Legolas like a few chapters ago because he kept ex- exclaiming I, I, like AI, AI. And the orcs do that in this chapter and we haven't seen anyone else use that exclamation. And I wondered if it was intentional because they were once elves. Or he's looking, or Legolas was looking at the orcs and going AI, AI. <laughs> Since we just established orcs are a form of heightened artificial intelligence. <laughs> I think it's really hard having read this chapter to go back to thinking of the orcs as like a very sort of simple organism that is basically just going to do what it's told and then kill things that get in its way. Right. Because that's very clearly not the case. And Mm. whether or not the other characters perceive them that way because I don't know that we get another chapter where we're going to see so much of the orcs, right? This might have been our one chance to kind of get that view into how they live. So I think the other characters might really perceive them as sort of more simple or more straightforward. It does kind of beg the question, though, like, what was Tolkien's intention in including this chapter? Because he, we didn't really need this glimpse into their lives in order to further the plot right we just needed mary and pippin's escape from what could have just been like an amalgamous group of violent orcs but he's very deliberately giving us a glimpse into like how their structuring works what what their lives are like what they complain about it's i feel like he wanted us to have some amount of empathy with these orcs 
or like or just to kind of understand that they're a civilization um to a certain degree well i I guess like what i meant more empathy kind of implies that i like want them to be okay or something but but it was more like relatability (laughs) like it was like i could see and understand this group better that's what empathy is though right like feeling what somebody else is feeling right yeah i suppose yeah and it doesn't mean you necessarily i didn't uh, i didn't want good things for them yeah i didn't i didn't feel sympathy i but i did feel empathy (laughs) yeah i think one of the like one of the tropes in fantasy that I generally have a problem with is that depiction of kind of like an all-encompassing evil with no real motivation behind it, where it's like, why are you evil? Well, just to be evil. That's who I am. <laughs> you know, and, it's like, and I find it easier to uh, read about villains who have some kind of reason that they are doing the things they do. And, and in every work that I interact with um, the best villains to me are always the ones that think they are heroes and um, in this like in this universe one of the things that I think is making this chapter maybe one of my favorite ones that we've read so far is that it makes the orcs less of like one big blob of evil and why are they doing the things they do because they're evil Um, And it makes them more like a society in which you could maybe comprehend that they just see themselves as doing their jobs. Yeah, right. The the banality of the orc. Tolkien knows. He knows. Ooh, okay. All right, I think that's enough. (laughs) That's enough for now. Thanks for listening to One Does Not Simply. This episode was edited by Wanda. You can find us on Twitter at ODNSPod and Tumblr at One Does Not Simply Pod. Special thanks to Andrew, Sneha, and all of our listeners for joining us on this journey. If you like what you hear, give us a rating or a review on whatever platform you listen to.